You're listening to A Quality Podcast with your hosts, John Thacker Jr. and Jake Harris. There, there's a perception of what cultural adaptation should look like when it comes to industry or just kind of anything. And it, there's, such a, there's such a difference. And I don't know that it is something you can take from a book. And uh, I absolutely have seen those, not even just with um, you know Lean Six Sigma or industry, but in the military as well, where they're like, but, but this is how I was taught leadership was supposed to work, or this is how, how I was taught to implement this particular thing. And it doesn't meet in the middle because you know culture is, is it, it's weird that it's named a soft skill because it's not a soft skill. It's more of a critical skill. Welcome, everybody, to a quality podcast. I'm your host, John Thacker Jr. We will not be joined by Jay Carroll today, so be sure to shame him as much as you can publicly and send him a lot of hate mail on LinkedIn, etc. Uh, hold on. It looks like I'm getting a call from uh, Jake. So let me just get this real fast. Hey, sorry you couldn't make it today, man. Yeah, I know. Yes, you are a piece of shit. No, we all agree. Everybody out here in YouTube land was like, the fuck man this guy just keeps blowing us off so yeah oh my really i'm so sorry man oh my gosh <laughs> i no no i thought that you just i don't know slept in or something but what the okay well how much is bail <laughs> jesus i'm not made out of money Yeah, yeah. Well, that was your first mistake. You're just gonna have to. You're just gonna have to stay there, man. You're in Texas. I can't fly down there. All right. Let me see what I can do. Well, he colored outside of the lines, didn't he? He colored outside the lines, folks. You heard it here, folks. Uh, first, uh, Mr. Jake Harrell picked up by the popos so no we'll me uh, no me no me show <laughs> we're happy to have with us today phil rank founder of mean alaska phil how are you doing today good good just uh enjoying the good alaska weather yeah um so we're going through a really weird weather pattern here we had winter right up until like three weeks ago and then we had summer um so today is the first spring day we've had all year, and it's actually actually really beautiful. So, yeah, it seems to be pretty consistent. You know, in, in Alaska, we have snow all through our winters, and right around March time frame, it starts to go away. In April, things get good. Um, usually, it just kind of teeters until June or July. But uh, it's been this year nine days in a row, I think, over above seventy degrees. But for us, because the angle, the sun's like ninety, so you're dying of heat stroke with no AC. Uh, but they recorded it as one of the earliest and warmer summers in Alaska. So, you know, hopefully it's well, all right. a lot longer. I need to move to Alaska then because we had snow in April over here in uh, northern Maryland. So, well, we're excited to have you on the show. We've been uh, following your content, of course, online um, and had a chance to kind of go back and forth a few times. Um, really excited about, you know, what you bring to Alaska, which, you know, for I think for most of us in the contiguous 48 states, Alaska is like 
you know, something you see on the Discovery Channel. You know, I, I wouldn't say it's not real, but it's kind of not real. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. When we moved here, um, you know, again, as I mentioned earlier, I'm here because the military you know, offered me the opportunity to come here before I retired. But we really weren't sure what we were walking into. So I literally um, bought a 20 foot container and stuffed it full of everything in Lowe's and tractor supply I could find because I was like moving to Alaska. They don't they don't sell stuff like this in Alaska. Right. If you can't cut the tree down, how are you building a house? Um, yeah, I was an idiot. Like Lowe's <laughs> is actually closer to my house now than it was in North Carolina. We have every eatery on the planet you can find. So I was like, hmm. well, don't I feel dumb? But there is a uh, disconnect in Alaska from mm-hmm. the rest of the world's um, kind of education system. And I know we have like, you know, remote stuff now. Um, I actually took classes you know grad classes online like you can do that now from real Mm -hmm. schools um but where i'm at you know pretty close to the beltway there is just a dozen different connections um Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. events conferences all of that um for education engineering six sigma lean all of that uh, to Mm -hmm. pick from like every week um, and you know, that, that doesn't exist up there in the frozen tundra. Uh, no, so no. You, you had a great opportunity, um, to get something started up there and serve your community and also mm-hmm. bring with you the experience from the military, which, you know, the contacts that I have, including my brother, you know, in the military, um, it's a great way to uh, make your bones because, at the end mm-hmm. of the day, the army is logistics. The military is logistics, right? That's what you're doing all the time. Uh, so you get to see, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and uh, practice over and over and mm-hmm. over again, right? Yeah, a uh, lot. Yeah. So we're uh, we're excited to have you on, and we wanted to talk today about cultural adaptation. And you know, this kind of hit home for me because uh, I frequently have these conversations with peers and consultants mm-hmm. and. You know, especially, I think, mostly um, folks that are internal consultants. These are folks whose job title is like continuous improvement manager or a continuous improvement engineer. And they get frustrated. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're, they're kind of venting to me because the company is not aligned with the textbook they read. Mm-hmm. Um, and so cultural adaptation can be you know, kind of a critical part of actually being effective in your role or maybe moving on, right, to something else. So take us uh, take us down this road, Bill. Yeah, so and it's, and I've definitely followed your post on LinkedIn and know, and know where you're generally at on it from what you post and, and feel like we're a lot aligned on that because I absolutely agree. Um, there, there's a perception of what cultural adaptation should look like when it comes to industry or just kind of anything. And it, there's such a, there's such a difference. And I, and I don't know that it is something you can take from a book. And uh, I absolutely have seen those, not even just with, um, you know, Lean Six Sigma or industry, but in the military as well, where they're like, but, but this is how I was taught leadership was supposed to work, or this is how, how I was taught to implement this particular thing. And it doesn't meet in the middle because, you know, culture is, is it, it's weird that it's named a soft skill because it's not a soft skill. It's more of a critical skill. 
and uh, it adapts to every single person, every single leader uh, all the time. Where, where I think I was first able to start recognizing it, the longer I went through the military, you know, I would stay in the same unit and I would stay with the same soldiers, but the leadership would continue to change. And it was, you'd have this, this weird back and forth because every time new leadership came in, they're like, oh, you know, the culture is going to change. You know, they'll make things better. And you'd wait and you'd wait and, and nothing would change. And you're like, wow, but I thought that's what the leader was supposed to do. And then soldiers would change as well. And you still wouldn't see this paradigm shift at all. So there would be somebody that says, but this is how it's supposed to work. You know, I, we do this and this changes that. Um, and that's not necessarily the case. So this is the same thing when you get to industry. You know, they, the, the, the customers that we've worked with primarily on the larger scale, you know, they say, well, if we just do this, then leadership will support that. And, you know, I know there's a lot of this and that. There's a lot of ambiguity in there because it's different for every situation. And, and it's just not the case. And um, what I've also found sometimes is, you know, the ability to change culture is just not in, not in everybody. Uh, is not something you can read from a book, in my opinion. It's something that you kind of learn over time through experience. So, yeah, it's um, as, as we've continued to go down that path and I watch all of these things unfold with clients, it becomes hard. Like there was, so there was one uh, very small coffee kiosk here in Alaska and they had a practitioner that was helping them, you know, somebody in process improvement. And they came in and it was a, you know, very nice, nice family running a small kiosk. And they said, the practitioner said, well, if you want to be, you know, successful, you have to move this machine over here and put in ventilation. You make all these changes for layout, balancing, design. And they said, but it's going to cost you about $30,000. And uh, the, the, you know, the small family, like, well, you know, we don't have the, we're a small coffee kiosk. You know, it's, we, we don't have money buried under the kiosk. You know, this isn't the Rockefellers, you know, we're broke. So, and he got really angry at them. And it was a clear indication he had no, no, no ability to, understand things from their perspective, which you know, helps with that cultural adaptation. It was like, this is the way it has to be, or this just isn't going to work. So, um, so you're watching how culture evolves, um, really hits home. And, and you tell everybody, they come to the courses. One of the things we do heavily is training and training comes with the hard skills. How do you do a regression analysis? You know, how do we set up a DOE? How do we run a 5S event? All these are very useful skills. And I tell every of them, every one of them day one, you know, if you can't sell this, if you can't figure out how to change the leadership, and I don't say really, I won't even say change the leadership. If you can't sell it to the leadership, that critical skill of explaining it to them, I don't care how good you can do a DOE. I don't care how good you can do a five best in, in 15 days, it'll be gone. So without that cultural adaptation of the, of the process or of the uh, education system, if you will, the rest of it just kind of falls to the side. So start with that. Yeah. So I'm not a huge fan of the word culture um, because it's one of those words that has just kind of been extended to death. Um, mm -hmm. You know, in, in linguistics, we talk about intention and extension uh, with words, right? And the extension is like how broad it can cover stuff mm -hmm. like the F-bomb. You can use mm -hmm. that for every word in the sentence. It has a lot of extension, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so with, with culture, um, it's, it's almost become like mythical where mm -hmm. we use the word culture as a, a uh, bucket that we dump all the crap in, you know, like that's yeah. bad culture, yeah. right? Well, yeah, if, it, if it doesn't work, it goes in the culture. It, yeah, it goes oh, in the culture. Oh, that didn't work. Oh, that's a culture problem. Yeah, it's you know? a culture problem. Of course it is. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, anything the engineer can't fix, right? That's a culture problem. Yeah, yeah it's a culture problem. So, <laughs> so I, I'm not a huge fan, but I also I haven't found a replacement, right? Mm-hmm. I was I was having this convo with uh, Jake the other day. Um, yeah, I'm implementing an operating system at my factory, and I'm training mm-hmm. these guys, and I'm stealing some the names for some roles, you know, mm-hmm. from like Gino Wickman and some of these other guys, mm-hmm. and I don't like the names, but I also don't have time to think of a better one, you know? <laughs> so, oh, yeah. so, you know, culture is kind of what we do and say and think and feel at work every day. Mm-hmm. And I'm one of those guys that believes that culture uh, is the outcome of management systems and processes mm-hmm. um, and can be engineered better. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, very close correlation between the way the work is done and the culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I don't think it's mystical or magical or, you know, some, uh, something that you need a psychology degree to figure out. Right. But it is Mm -hmm. real. And part of it's tied into as humans, we have this um, tribal instinct. There's a need for belonging and, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're when you're a kid at school, you know it's like are are you a jock or a geek or a goth or mm-hmm. you know like you're already breaking up into groups of people mm-hmm. who are like you, um, and then within that group, like there's some kind of pecking order, you know, like mm-hmm. well I'm one of the popular kids, but I'm not the prom queen, you know, whatever. Uh, this is how we behave as humans, and that has to be taken into account mm-hmm. by good leadership, right? So it's a cultural artifact of Mm -hmm. tribalism, sorting, um, hierarchy, that sort of thing, which can, can be, um, intentionally addressed by leadership. And, and actually Mm -hmm. at, uh, zoom operational excellence, Jake and I have created a product called get awesome now. And Mm -hmm. we designed it around like behavioral psychology and, um, organizational psychology to change behaviors and cultures rapidly. So things like, you know, being a, a filthy building to mm-hmm. being almost perfectly clean in like three weeks, right? Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, wow, how do you do that? Well, we actually just put a lot of hard work and thought into how can we do that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Instead of this yeah. will never happen, right? Um, so culture is a real thing and it can change and it can be changed. However, most of the people listening to this show don't mm-hmm. have the role or the power or the authority to change culture. So as we enter into an engagement, mm-hmm. there is a part of what we do. And, and Jake and I actually talked about this last week. There's a part of what we do where we have to come to terms with what is the actual business that we're part of? What's mm-hmm. the actual culture? before we can be effective, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I totally agree with the word culture. I like that about as much as I actually like the word Lean Six Sigma, which okay. let me hear, I'm here to tell you they are both at the bottom of the barrel, which is very interesting because I love culture and I teach Lean Six Sigma, but it's the same thing. I tell people um, Lean Six Sigma is the title of the course. That's literally the only thing. And everybody perceives that word differently. I wish there was, you know, I try to stick with the word process improvement as much as possible, but even then, like you, know, like you said, you know, it's just an extension of Lean Six Sigma. So 
it doesn't explain what it really is or can do. Same thing with culture, you know, that, yeah, that word gets used incorrectly a lot, I think, or just, or just becomes like we said, the buzzword. Oh, that's a problem. That's a cultural problem. Oh, we had a failure today. Well, that was a cultural issue as well. I think um, where things change for me, kind of like what you were saying is, you know, it, it can be, it can be engineered. It can change. And then, but then there are some people out there that say, well, you can't, we are who we are. You can't change that. I think my experience with the military has taught me that that is an absolute phallus. It's just false. There's nothing to that whatsoever. So if you were to go back to high school, interesting that you bring up high school, you're right. You know, when we start school, everything is pure. We don't have necessarily an identity outside of our family, except for, you know, you know, play group on the weekend or whatever, but you grow into these tribes and, you know, all that pureness starts to find its way to the edges. You know, you're no longer living in this middle space. You find that group, then you find the pecking order in the group. And that's kind of where you gravitate. You go from high school to college to your work environment. And, and that, that kind of stays consistent. You know, in high school, you, you have those, those groups, much like you said, you know, you find your way into these groups and, you know, you go from that, from that pure thought of what your family has kind of brought you into and to what does society see you as or how do they see you? And that sticks with you. Um, like I said, in high school, I was, I was the dorky kid. I was definitely not popular. Um, I was quiet, uh, did not have the best grades, largely because I didn't like to do the work. I was also lazy as God knows what. So I think the army came along at the right time in the right place. You know, as I mentioned before, um, I was watching Scooby-Doo when the recruiter called me. I mean, you, as a, as a, okay, when you're you know, six, seven years old on a Saturday morning, Scooby-Doo is acceptable. Not when you're 17 years old, right? Trying to graduate from high school just to provide context, right? So, you know, he came, like I said, he said some fancy words, showed me some fine, some fancy things. And I was like, all right, let's, let's give this army thing a try. I'll do it for two years because I need college money because I wasn't smart enough to get scholarships. And, you know, just this real, you know, similar story for a lot of those that joined. But what I found interesting was I, after I joined, I went to my first duty assignment. I became a different person. I was, I was treated differently. Uh, I was looked at differently and, and it made me react differently. So I became a product of that, of that changed environment. But interestingly enough, it didn't come from my leadership. It came from other soldiers within my organization that kind of brought me in under their wing. And they're like, look, we're not going to let you fail or, or be this kind of person. You know, this is, this is how we act. So by extension, this is going to be how you act. And, uh, and, but that's how the military is. You know, it, it's not a lot of options when you're young. It's, you know, follow my lead, right? And uh, as I grew into a leader, I started to recognize and remember that. So it was interesting how um, they, you know, when they, we talk about culture and how does it get in there and, and how do we develop that ability to change? It's in my, you know, it's, it's through experience, but it's not, it's not just about how do you deliver a message? It's how well do you understand who you're delivering the message to? Because I can tell 15 soldiers the same thing and every last one of them will react differently. One of them right. will come in and be like, this is the great thing, best thing ever. And then one of them will come back and be like, you're the biggest dumbass I ever met in my life. And it's, you know, you really, you span that spectrum with anybody that you talk to. So, you know, um, yep. everybody always asks, so like, how do I implement when I, especially when I'm teaching, you know, soldiers come to the, to the training course and a lot of them are really jaded when they first get here because they're, you know, uh, mid-career NCOs or they're young lieutenants and captains and they've just been beaten and battered you know, by leadership or by deployments or by op tempo being too high, high suicide rates. I mean, with the military, you can find this gamut of things to just crush your soul. A lot of good things, but few things that just kind of hurt you. So they come to this training 
wanting to learn about process improvement. And, you know, your mind goes to the hard skills. Again, how do I do 5S? How do I do a design of experiment? How do I change something, you know, a physical something? And the first question in their mind is like, well, how do I get my leadership to buy in? How do I get my team on board? That'll never work. You know, we have this the, the saying in the military, well, that's the flavor of today. Somebody, well, I'm going to try this to see how it works. This is Phil's good idea, you know, not something that's tried and true. After, you know, when we're doing, especially with Black Belt, you know, it's 120 hours. It takes, you know, four weeks to get through and we have breaks in between there. So the information can soak in, they can work on projects. But um, right about week three, they start to understand how you can systematically move through and go from individual thoughts to team understanding. And then how you can start to build faith into leadership and those around you by changing a process systematically, as opposed to just trying it the way that somebody else told you to try it. And I tell everybody, ask one of them, they're like, why, uh, you know, there, do you have an example of, of a project you did for range operations? And I tell them I do, but I'm not going to give it to you. And they're like, well, that doesn't make sense. I want to see how this works. I'm like, that's not how this works. You can't change your process because that person changed their process that way. You know, your cultural evolution, for lack of better words, or how your team is going to change that will come from your team. And that's not you yelling at them all day long. That's from right. you understanding who they are, them understanding who you are. And then once you come together from a common picture, you know, you can really do something that's, you know, important. And, and we show them Tuckman's model for that reason, right? We tell them everybody goes through forming, storming, norming, performing, and adjoining, whether you know it or not, you have that. For us in the military, we just happen to get a brand new extension of that every 18 months because we go from, you know, think of changing your job position every, every 18 months. That's where we go. So so yeah, not to not to kind of trail off on that too long, but yeah, cultural cultural change um, is a strange one, and everybody always wants to know how to do it. What's the magic key? There is no magic key. There's just the ability to understand. Yeah. So as a professional goes out, you know, into their new job, um, the first helpful thing they can do is build relationships, learn about mm -hmm. the people that you're working with, and start asking. Uh, questions, you know, what actually matters to not just my boss, but my boss's boss and the company. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's a, a level of skill here that is deep and uh, not emphasized enough, right? And I always tell people, mm -hmm. I, I was talking to somebody online and he said, you know, I, I don't like lean. All you really need is industrial engineering. You know, typical, you know, th typically mm -hmm. this kind of yeah. thing comes from somebody who like just got an engineering degree or something mm -hmm. and discovered yeah. stuff that other people have known about for a long time, but thinks it's special. <laughs> yeah. I, I and, love uh, <laughs> yeah. Did you and, know you uh, put sugar in your coffee? It's amazing. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Thanks boss. So, but my response was you do realize that the vast majority of producing companies in the world mm -hmm. do exactly what you're saying. Mm -hmm. They all have engineers, right? Um, What's the competitive advantage of Toyota? You know, why is their profits 10 times what GM's is, despite mm -hmm. the fact that they're selling about the same number of vehicles, right? It's their management system, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so on the other hand, you have folks that are uh, very bought into relationality and mm -hmm. leadership and leading by example, um, team building, that sort of thing, right? And what lean does is it makes a sandwich. It brings them both together, right? Mm -hmm. Because lean, it essentially takes 
industrial engineering best practices and management best practices and marries mm-hmm. them together, right? That's yeah. what's special about Lean is it deals with the human aspect as well mm-hmm. as the technical aspect of work, mostly production work, right? Because that's what mm-hmm. that's what Lean came out of. Um, so sometimes uh, folks get into these like continuous improvement type of roles, right? Mm-hmm. And they don't stop and ask like, what is the actual company? What's the actual values? What does this mm-hmm. company believe in, you know, management system, that sort of thing, and learn all of that first. And sometimes there's the assumption, like if I got hired as director of lean, then this is mm-hmm. a lean company. Well, it, you know what? They're probably not, you know, mm-hmm. I've, I've dealt yeah. with <laughs> most likely not. Uh, yeah. Endless companies. Like, you're you're not lean. You you say you want to be, but you don't believe mm-hmm. in, you know, the the customer defining value. You don't have yeah. your business divided by value streams. You don't have pull implemented. You know, you're you're mm-hmm. just not right. So, do you want me to make you lean, or do you want me to make you more profitable with mm-hmm. this title? Right. And and a lot of the time, that's what it is. Right. You can oh, yeah. do some projects. You can have like the run of your leash, but your leash is connected to our accounting system. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so I think a lot of folks can save themselves a lot of grief just by uh, taking the time to ask questions and refrain from judging the company and the situation mm-hmm. and just learn like what's going on here. And then how am I going to contribute to that? Right. Yeah. So maybe it turns out it's not your dream job or whatever. Um, Okay, well, you can always apply at Toyota. Yeah, they actually are lean. They might be yeah. the only ones that, that really carry it. Yeah, yeah I, I, again, it's, you see that all the time. Like when, again, when we bring people into class, they say, uh, and we ask them the same questions. It's with any other class. Hey, who are you? Where are you from? Tell us, you know, what's your path? It's the, you know, it's, it's, it's always the same thing. But so what, the same questions anyway for leading the class, but you always hear the same thing. They're like, I want to change processes. I'm taking that because I want to learn how to change processes. And what I, first thing I tell them, I was like, you know, I'm not definitely not trying to burst your bubble, but while you'll learn process improvement tools, um, the class is about being a facilitator, not necessarily a doer. Like you're not going to go to the organization and you're the one doing the five S independently. You are doing this. You are a facilitator. You know, you are the one collecting the voice of the customer, not looking at yourself in the mirror, having a conversation and determining what voice of the customer will be. There's a big difference in that. And when they get hired into those roles, they assume that they're the ones on the hook for the output. It's not. You're the one on the hook to be a facilitator. Well, what is a facilitator? A facilitator is not a doer. It is somebody that has the ability to communicate effectively a thing. So I keep telling them in the training, I'm like, Every time we do this, remember that. And I give him one example. And it was where I kind of had my aha moment when I went through my black belt training way back in the day. <clears throat> I came in and uh, I had a project in mind and I was just like everybody else that came into process improvement. Well, there's a, it was basically fleet management, if you will. I was, I was going to change the process of maintaining a fleet. And, um, you know, we have a lot of different army names for that, but we'll keep all those colorful F words out of there. Cause yeah, you want to talk about F word being an extension? I think we can fence it. <laughs> right. Like, we use that thing like a comma most days. So which, which makes these meetings really hard. So I got to turn that off a little. So we had, you know, there's this project that we were getting ready to do. 
And I was a warrant officer at the time in, in the army. That's a subject matter expert in a field. Like my focus in life was logistics for maintenance operations. So I was going to do this project. And I was certain, I was certain in my mind that we were failing because leadership was not involved down on the floor. Essentially, that's what it was. I was a subject matter expert. I knew that. I had been through the course, but when I went through the course, they didn't teach me that I was being a facilitator. They taught me what the tools were. We didn't have that conversation about Cotter's model. We didn't have that conversation about ADCAR or anything that had to do other than the fact they said, hey, as a black belt, you're a change agent. And then like right off to the next thing. So as we went through the project, I learned that I had to let the project take, you know, take its path, not, you know, follow Phil's path, so to speak. What I, my aha moment was, I knew leadership was the problem. I somehow was able to step back from my own thoughts and let my team run that project. And when we got done, leadership didn't even crack the top 10 when it came to prioritize root causes, not even close. And I took that moment. I was like, but, but I was sure I, I've been doing this for 12 plus years. How is that not the problem? And it was perception. You know, I, I felt culture was bad and I had to let it take place. So I tell all the students to come, excuse me, I'll tell the students to come through <clears throat> Choking on spit, man. Damn it. All right, let's try this again. So I tell all the, the um, students when they come through, this, isn't a this is a course that will teach you a tool, but more importantly, we're teaching you how to facilitate. We teach you how to do the tool so you can help others learn how to use it and implement it as a team. I'll know when you do a project by yourself. I can tell when you process map on your own. I can tell when root cause analysis comes from just you because it's lacking that diversity of a group. So it's, you're absolutely right. You know, I, it seems like um, some people hop into some positions as, you know, the lean practitioner of an organization. Um, what they feel like that's their role is to the only person that does lean as opposed to bring change to the organization and they feel on the hook for the results. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, kind of going along with that, right? The, I, I think everybody's experience, you know, you probably experienced it, you know, with basic and then mm -hmm. deployment, right? Um, college and then career, right? There's a difference between the theoretical environment of learning and then the actual application of practice. Uh, when I was getting my MBA, I had a classmate who said, you know, I look at this degree as a green card. Once mm -hmm. I have it, people will take me seriously and I'll get to be part of the conversation, right? Mm -hmm. now, I disagreed with this classmate then and I disagree more now because, you know, your inclusion is based on getting results in almost every arena except Congress. Um, but for, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but for yeah. <laughs> the slide right there. <laughs> the end, there but are for all of us that don't get to vote for our own pay, Mm -hmm. um, you actually have to produce some results, right? Um, mm -hmm. So I'm sorry, this is not a political show and we donate equally to both parties, which is absolutely nothing. Um, so, you know, your inclusion is, is based on results. You know, if mm -hmm. you're in sales, you see this like immediately, like that is the job mm -hmm. description. But, you know, then you get to operations where you have a mandate to create value or, or to execute mm -hmm. on the promise of value created by sales. And it's the same thing. You might not have a compensation structure that's so blatant, but you do have to produce results, right? And the mm -hmm. point of the education is to empower you to take action that gets results, right? Um, so 
for some folks that are kind of in the continuous improvement space, the process improvement space sort of thing, uh, we, we get this education, you know, and, and it's good and we learn a lot, but sometimes what's missing from that education is an understanding of the implementation mm-hmm. once oh, you're yeah. in the role, right? So yeah. just my method, my approach, right, mm-hmm. is always get with the team, right? So mm-hmm. I'm going to call it operations, you know, whatever. This applies to like a restaurant with five people or whatever, yeah. um, as much as it does to Amazon. But the people that are doing the work, you get with the team or the teams and you start building a set of processes where they mm-hmm. plan what they're going to do. They do it. They check mm-hmm. the outcomes and then they adjust their plan for the next iteration mm-hmm. based on what they learned. So it's a continuously learning organization that accepts the objective outcomes of their actions mm-hmm. and tries to correlate that to inputs, which is not always that easy, right? I, I think I've worked w- exactly one place that had statistical process control charts mm-hmm. that worked and everywhere sure, else, yeah. like your process isn't under control. So mm-hmm. having a statistically significant correlation between outcomes and actions, it's not there. There's a lot of guesswork, mm-hmm. right? So if you're using that method, you're just, you know, it's, it's like a, a farm where you've got to mm-hmm. plow the soil and turn it over and you got to fertilize and then you got to plant and then you got to water and then you got to wait a long time. Mm-hmm. But then your five kernels of corn turn into like a whole acre of corn, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how this can work as opposed to I'm going to come in and try to get results by implementing tools or methods. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not self-sustaining. It's like hybrid corn. You know, it works for yeah. like two generations and then it just dies. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I, I liked your, uh, your plan to check act in there. If nobody scooped that up, you should try to publish that, you know, just in case nobody's <laughs> got that one yet. I think I may have heard it somewhere, though. It's possible. But, uh, either way, but uh, yeah, the implementation is just, um, it's everything. Again, not, not to keep bringing it back to the training aspect, but that's kind of where we focus right now. We tell them the same thing. You know, the, the, one of the biggest questions that we get asked as, as either soldiers are signing up or, you know, businesses are sending groups into the training arena. They're like, hey, you know, what book are you using? There is no book. Well, well what, what do we follow? Well, you follow the teachings, you follow the education. You know, there's, you know, we also get the similar question. What's the difference between PMP and Lean Six Sigma, you know, framework and methodology? You get that a lot. And I, I keep telling them, like, there, there is no body of knowledge to Lean Six Sigma like there is to PMP. They, they are vastly different. PMP is a framework. You know, it, you know, PMP drives timelines. Lean Six Sigma or process improvement, it drives results. And when you're driving results, everything has to change every time. That's why it's so hard to nail down a single body of knowledge just as it would be to, sing, to nail down a single textbook. Are there books that can help you? Absolutely. Am I going to follow just one of them for this training? Nope. And then the same thing, we're going through the slides. They're like, well, hey, I had a buddy that went through a slide, you know, went through your class two weeks ago and you said something different. I'm like, that's because every class is different. What you're doing as a class is different. What he was doing as a class, what you're trying to achieve is different from him. And if we can't adapt to that change, I'm not really helping you learn how to, to act in your current in your current roles. And that's where we start talking about academia versus implementation, right? And I tell them all the same thing. 
well, like I, I just, this guy I was talking to him on Facebook the other day when I was putting some information, I was like, yeah, I just crushed green dot over the weekend, you know, $69. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah. And then he put this post on there and said, he was like, man, I crushed green belt. He's like, I can't wait to move on and master the yellow belt skills. And I wrote back, I was like, hey, boss, you might want to ask for that 69 bucks back because if you crush green belt and you're moving from green to yellow, we got a problem. But I get that all the time and they come to the training and I was like, you know, let me set your expectations when you get here. Even with taking the 40 hour green belt or the 120 hour black belt, this is knowledge transfer. This is academia baselining at its best. You're not going to graduate my course go back to your company and boom, you're doing process improvement. Like you're just the wizard of all things. I just, I'm not creating Harry Potter squad right here. You know, we, we have things that we're doing. My, my, what I tell them is go to your organization. If you work somewhere that has process improvement, find the best practitioner you can find. Notice those words though, practitioner, not somebody that's just carrying the $69 certificate in their pocket. Tie yourself to that person because they understand the organization. If you can't find one, I'm happy to mentor you through, but at the end of the day, when the grass, when, when the grass, when the class graduates, we've done academia transfer. It only gives you about 20% of what you need. Implementation is going to be everything else. You are not going to do a project by yourself without somebody that has experience. My recommendation is find somebody that's either A, doing it successful in another organization, you no know, benchmarking, it's like we almost talk about that, or find somebody in yours that is successful at it. Because if you just go back and you say, I have my degree now. It cost me $69. I will change your organization. They're like that, I wouldn't even let you in the front door. I'd fire you before I hire you at that point. So I was like, don't, don't I again, don't graduate my class, you know, walking around strutting your tail feathers. Like I'm a black belt. I can change the world. No boss. You can barely change your diaper, man. Let's just, let's start off with that. All right. Yeah. It's a great uh, call out. You know, there's a reason that we use, um, coaches or mentors or senseis i have this thing where i don't use japanese because i'm not japanese and oh i screw those words know, up the, every time i skip right over them yeah i mean it, most of my work has been done with like um you know northern midwestern companies <laughs> like you go in there talking <laughs> japanese and it, it doesn't go over <laughs> yeah. well um yeah but anyway we, TV. <laughs> yeah we we could <laughs> that, that was a good impression man <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, like we could get into the, the psychology of, mm -hmm. you know, tribalism and in-group, out-group. And, you know, mm -hmm. if, if you're American in an American factory and you're using all of these words, then then you're screwing it up and you don't actually understand the philosophy behind lean. Um, mm -hmm. The Japanese use those words because they're freaking Japanese. That's yeah, their language. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not special, words, bro. It's how they talk to each other. <laughs> right. Words themselves are actually very simple. And direct, yeah. that's the philosophy. But anyway, uh, the, one of the reasons we have that is you have to apply, you know, theory to specific mm -hmm. situations. There's not like a playbook, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's it's highly relative. So I was working at one factory, and you know, I ran the uh, parts warehouse, which was huge. You know, internal and external storage, mm -hmm. well over you know, a million and a half square feet. Um, and we had to basically pick parts and deliver them line side, you mm -hmm. know, at regular intervals. So the production keeps flowing. And so the, the sort of cash value impact of what we were doing there was over $4 million a day, right? This was a significant operation. And, uh, you know, I had this person from corporate 
you know, come out there to, to help us continue this improvement person. And, uh, you know, they looked at this station and the, what this station do, did was basically stuff would get dropped off there. They would put a label on it and put it on a milk run truck, you know, regular mm-hmm. intervals to go to the plant. And they said, you know, we need to five S this area. You know, and I was like, why? Like, well, it's a mess. You can't even tell what's going mm-hmm. on. I'm like, well, you can't tell what's going on. And it is a mess. This person mm-hmm. that's been doing the job for 15 years, they know what's going on. It's their mess. It's yeah. like my garage. Like you ain't going to find yeah. a screwdriver, buddy, but I know where it is. <laughs> Facts. Go ahead. Clean right. my garage. I'll never find it again. Yeah. But that was the last station in the process. The mm-hmm. last one. Right. So 5Sing that workstation, it's not bad, mm-hmm. but it isn't going to move the needle. It's not going to do anything. Yeah. Because it's the tail of the process. Mm-hmm. You've already screwed up by the time you got there. <laughs> yeah, at least 10 times. Yeah. So I just oh, asked yeah. this person, like, go walk through the whole value stream, mm-hmm. right? And I just want you to look for two things. I want you to look for whip, and I want mm-hmm. you to look for how much whip and the aging. Mm-hmm. Right? So if over here there's a mountain of whip, there's a problem, right? I don't mm-hmm. have, I have a velocity mismatch between step A and step B. But I might only have one thing there. But if it's two days old, that's a big mm-hmm. problem too. You know? Yeah. And so, you know, they, they did that exercise and they walked through and they came back and they were like, holy shit, you're right. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I want to 5S this area because corporate told me to come here and get something done and earn my yeah. salary. You know, and yeah. I was like, that's okay. I get it. You know, I've, I've been in the same role. Yeah. I know <clears throat> how that works and the pressure. Right? So we, we ended up doing something a little more. Fruit. Yeah, but, uh, so much, so much to learn from that there too, as well, because that's that's even how businesses come to you as a consultant. Sometimes they come mm-hmm. in and say, "I want to do X," and they may not want to do X. It's just they only heard of X. They never heard right. of you know Y and Z or whatever letters are before that. My brain's not quick enough to process alphabet backwards, apparently. So, <laughs> but you you get that, and they and same thing when we're in the training, we tell everybody, do not you know there are two things that are going to be hard. Uh, but both of them are restraint. One is your restraint and one is your leadership's restraint. You know, yours is going to be restraint to jump ahead and do something at the tail, like you said, and the leadership's hard to restraint is when you show them something like process maps or value streams, they're going to want to jump you ahead because they're going to want to get to the tail of the problem, right? They're not letting the project take its place. But, um, and and I tell them as well, the other thing that I took away from was, you know, There are so many tools, but you don't use all the tools at one time. So don't fixate on the one that you hear. You know, I tell everybody, it's, it's, you know, when you were a little kid, what was one of your favorite Christmas gifts? It was the box of 100 crayons, right? Maybe that was just me because I was a poor kid. But if I got the big box of crayons, man, I was like on cloud 10. I got a little coloring book with it. Christmas was golden. I equate that to Lean Six Sigma, right? Lean Six Sigma or any process improvement methodology, whether it's design thinking or Trez or VPR, you pick, it doesn't matter. They all actually bleed together quite well. They're like a big box of crayons. In school or in class, I'm going to teach you all 100 crayons that are in there. But then when I give you your coloring book and you open it up and Lightning McQueen is sitting there, I said, how many crayons do you use? Ah, about five or six. Right. So you take out the five or six that you need. You color up Lightning. You put them back. You flip the page. Now there's you know Buzz Lightyear or whoever else is next. I clearly have young kids. And I was like, now what do you do? You know, are you using the exact same five crayons? Well, no, we're using different colored crayons. Like That's the premise of what we're learning. Don't walk out of here and think one one of two things. Either I have to use all 100 tools right away or, I, or I'm going to use the same tool over and over and over again. But that's what you hear. Like, well, just like you said, I've heard that a million times. I have to 5S this. I agree. It is a hot dumpster fire in here. However, 
how did it become a hot dumpster fire? Well, I don't always start there. And that's right. You know, that's that value stream moving backwards that uh, that often gets missed. So yes, well, that's right. You know what I like about that uh, metaphor is the coloring book. Yeah. Right. So yeah, you have you have all these crayons. When you open that page to the coloring book, you know what the picture is, and you have mm-hmm. an idea in your mind of what the finished product should look like, and you're able to color within the lines with the right colors and get that picture. And that is an element that's sometimes missing mm-hmm. that ties in with cultural adaptation. And the mm-hmm. reason that sometimes you have to ask a lot of questions and get to know a lot of people is precisely because you know the the business might not have the mm-hmm. coloring book. They might not have yeah. the vision. They might not yeah. have uh, targets. So I worked for a couple of actual lean companies and they had operating systems that included like, you know, you're officially certified that you're starting your lean journey at this site, which mm-hmm. means corporate is committing to your success, right? We're mm-hmm. going to support whatever you need. And then you get your bronze certification once certain things are in place, like mm-hmm. value stream design and full production, right? Mm-hmm. And then you get silver certification on the basis of, you know, tier meetings with, you know, stacked charts, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and so on and so forth. They had a really clear coloring book, right? Mm-hmm. They, they had a really clear page. You, you know what it's supposed to look like and where you're going yeah. and everyone's on board. I think what's challenging for, you know, me in consulting and for a lot of people that are out there trying to do process improvement, business improvement, is they they never get that picture. They have to tell the company. Like you're actually mm-hmm. hired to tell the company what's the picture, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's where the communication and the emotional intelligence and all of that comes mm-hmm. into play. So if you have a business group, you know, the, every company is run by somebody or some group or some philosophy, right? So there's mm-hmm. companies that are run by the venture capitalists. And mm-hmm. if you really yeah. dig down and you ask them, we're actually run by hurdle rate. Like mm-hmm. our, our ROI has to exceed our hurdle rate. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's I'm not going to judge that, right? You made yeah. a financial decision in acquiring this portfolio. And if you don't meet your hurdle rate financially, then first of all, you're going to divest. Right? Yeah, And then all of these people's jobs are in question or whatever. So you're not a lean company. That's okay. Right. Mm-hmm. But at least I know what page I'm coloring. Right. Yeah. I, no I know start. the coloring book that I'm in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I love about that coloring book is I tell them all the same thing too. I'm like, just because I'm giving you the crayons and, you know, and maybe we're setting the, which picture we're going to use from the company. That doesn't mean that either of you are going to color in the lines right away and understand that's where the, the shift in culture comes from. Right. You know, yeah. it's, it's weird. You know, I don't know why the coloring book fits so many different models, but it is, and, you know, you have the crayons, they have the picture. You, you can come together and you're still going to color outside of the lines. And until you figure out how to stay within them, that's when you start, you know, getting down there. I, I tell them there's a, that show was like top chef or what is that one show where they had the three judges and you gave four people the exact same ingredients and then saw how they put them together. Right. right. When people come to class, I tell them the same thing. They're like, how does this work? Like when you get towards the end of class and they want to know what happens when I leave, you know, they get very comfortable in a training environment because now everybody's learning and thinking the same way. And I say, it's going to be like that show, you know, will you, all of you have the exact same tools, but I'm going to put you at the chef station and all four of you are going to cook a different meal. Like, but you're going to cook a meal based on what you think the leadership needs. Now, let me ask you a question. I was like, if you were able to ask the judges, what's their palate? 
what's their flavoring? You know, how's their spice intake or understanding? Would you change how you cook that meal? The answer is always yes. I was like, that's exactly the same thing as the coloring book. What's the picture? If you don't understand who or what you're cooking to, what, you know, you have three different judges and they're judging your plate differently, but that's not because they taste it differently. Each of them have a different palate, a different understanding, a different, you know, cultural background of how they grew up eating food. It's just interesting how they all kind of intermingle because now I just want to go, you know, eat waffles and color my coloring book. That's kind of where I'm at this morning with all these conversations, right. Right? but they're so relevant to how you run multi-billion dollar corporations at the same time. So. Yeah. It's like, uh, if you're making pizza for Gordon Ramsay, you better not put pineapple on it. Right. Yeah. At you all. Know? Not even a thing. I'll love my yeah. Papa John's with pineapple. Hopefully he yeah. doesn't watch this show because then I'll never. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so no, it's a, it's a great, um, example, I think a reminder for folks, right. Which is you're not in a vacuum. This isn't top chef or whatever, you know, you, you're yeah. not trying to beat the system you're on the same team. Yeah. Leader. Like, yeah. You can yeah. go talk to them. You know, what yeah. do you want? You can ask that question. Use your words. Use yeah, your exactly. words. <laughs> um, so I've experienced, you know, this um, internal tension or struggle many times where the CI group, um, for starters, the companies are designed poorly, honestly. They'll, they'll have an interior, you know, consulting group, like a CI group, and the compensation and everything else. Um, you know, doesn't align what's happening here with what's best for the company. And sometimes there's like, you know, turf wars and we have to prove our worth so that, you know, our jobs don't get cut when there's COVID and, it, and it's real, right? So yeah. I think uh, uh, what we do when the chips are down is really re reveals like, the limits to our values. I don't want to say true values. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't think that's accurate, but the limits to them, right? So I don't believe in like being harsh to my kids, but if my kid runs out in front of, in the road in front of a car, mm -hmm. I'm just running out there and tackling them, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll probably yell at them, right? Because of the context. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Go, you know, they're messing around at home and like, I don't know, drawing on the walls with a crayon or something. I'm not going to yell at them and go tackle them. Yeah. Just, you know, for everybody out there in YouTube land, I, I don't. Gonna, you're going to give them the coloring book instead of the wall, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Coloring book. <laughs> uh, you know, it would be absurd. And we talk about that, like the, the commensurate response. Right? Yeah. Like is your response commensurate to the action? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so these types of situations reveal the limits of our values, right? Mm -hmm. During COVID, I had a friend who uh, was a vice president of quality mm -hmm. that got fired because mm -hmm. the company had to cut jobs. Yeah. You know, like some, some people are still going to be able to support their family and the business yeah. is going to remain. Some people aren't. Now, my personal feeling on that if you have a vice president of quality, that's probably the last thing you should <laughs> cut. Right? Yeah, like, I think so. If, if you need one, right, yeah. then you you don't cut that role. Um, if you never needed it, eh, you know, <laughs> that's sure, that yeah. what it yeah, is. Yeah. But yeah. I'm yeah, assuming you're in an quality, industry. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and in this industry, yes, I definitely needed that role. Um, but it's a real thing. And so it makes sense for these 
uh, folks who, you know, they're like in this bucket in the company that doesn't actually mm -hmm. deliver on the promise of value or create value, mm -hmm. who's going to get the ax first? Right? Yeah. So I, I think the companies have screwed up. I think they have made a mistake in their structure and in their compensation and in their review and, you know, how valuable is this group mm -hmm. right, in that yeah. process. It's but like watching it's a real office thing. space. Yeah. 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 Um, so it's a real thing. And it, folks get into these roles and mm -hmm. they don't realize, like, I, I went through this training and this experience and I thought that I was getting the Disney princess coloring book. And instead mm -hmm. I got like the Dollar Tree knockoff coloring book. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and <laughs> instead of coming to terms with that, you know, sometimes there's this adjustment period where it's like, you have the wrong color. You're giving me the wrong coloring book. This isn't yeah. right. You know, uh, you know, Mulan is Chinese, not Korean. This is completely yeah, I know, wrong. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, and instead of, kind of just coming to terms with reality like this is what it is buddy you know yeah. th this is just yeah. this is what you got you know and and you can work with that and so there's a, a process for coming to terms with the culture of the business mm -hmm. and come to terms with what's really going on and it's possible that you were hired to make change and not be mm -hmm. instead of being a facilitator and that might turn yeah. into or might need to turn into a conversation with your boss say mm -hmm. hey let me explain the gap between the expectations I had and what I'm seeing now. Right? Yeah. I was trained to be a facilitator because this is a necessary part of mm -hmm. implementing long-term lasting change for your company. Mm -hmm. And I was sold this role on the basis of that. And now that I'm in here, I'm finding out through my performance reviews and so on and so forth that what you guys really want is business results and nobody in your business has been able to get them yet. Mm -hmm. And so now you hired me to get those results. Yeah. And here's the concerns I have with that. Right? Yeah. So just That's the ability to have those adult conversations, if I can call them that. Oh, yeah. They, they absolutely are needed. They yeah. are needed. I, I tell, um, I tell the, the, the people that come to class, what I tell a company when I start working with them is, are you asking for lean for the perception or the process? You know, going back to what you're right. saying, because that's two different reasons to put it in place. If you want it for the perception, then you can save a lot of money. You know, you can just hire somebody that has the $69 certificate and be okay with that. If you're here for the process, that's going to be a, like, like you said, that's a very different conversation. And, um, and you know, that becomes a two way street, you know, do you need me? Do I need you? You know, let's, let's be clear about what your expectations are. Is it for me to facilitate or is it for me to be the chain, you know, the doer up front? And then, you know, transition to a facilitator down the road as we start to change that in the organization. But that needs more than $69 of training, in my opinion. So, <laughs> right. But anyway, getting back to uh, real life. So, you know, the, the learning of what you actually got hired to do, what really matters, and then having those open conversations, right? Mm -hmm. um, you're bringing up some really good points about what did you hire me to do? And no, you actually want me to be a change agent. And sometimes, you know, you want the, the perception of lean, not the process of lean, right? Mm -hmm. And we actually mentioned this last week in the podcast because um, we've seen it so much. You know, there are companies where the continuous improvement or lean thing is mm -hmm. for sales. 
that's what it's for. Like this company, mm-hmm. and, and this is really bad in third party logistics, to be honest with you, you know, they want to win business from Nike, for example, and Nike has this initiative for their partners to be lean, part of their lean supply chain. And so, you know, the 3PO will basically advertise themselves as, hey, we're a lean company. You know, we hired this guy and we have this, you know, CI group or whatever, this lean group. And sometimes it's just enough to fool the customer to think, oh, okay, they know, you know, they're lean or whatever. But those roles, like you're, you're not actually hired to do lean, right? So don't, you know, mistake what you're actually hired to do with the title, you know? (laughs) Uh, that's a that's a marketing thing right there. Um, mm-hmm. So they really so, don't know what to put in the job description. Uh, no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, how, no, how I, do you how do you make that succinct into one? You know, into a couple of words on Indeed, right? It doesn't. You know, I uh, yeah. need you to come in and reorganize my mess. And like nobody's going to get hired for that job. Yeah, and can you even do it? Right, like yeah. your business is engineered to give you these outcomes. Mm-hmm. perfectly yeah. engineered to get you where you're <laughs> at, right? So yeah. we have to have a conversation about what processes are we going to mm-hmm. change, right? And that's, you know, where Lean Six Sigma, for example, uh, kind of shines is mm-hmm. understanding business processes, right? You're, the outcomes mm-hmm. you're getting is the result of a system of processes, and that's what has mm-hmm. to change, right? Yeah. You can't come in, like, as a new leader and, you know, I'm the new sheriff in town. Things are going to change. We're going to do it this way, this way, and this way. And, you know, get on board or get run over or whatever and actually see any change. Like you'll see some short-term change. Mm-hmm. There we go. Yeah. yeah. But sometimes after that, it's even worse, right? Yeah. I get asked, I get asked the exact same question all the time, you know, by everybody. They're like, what's so special about a master black belt or what is a master black belt? And, you know, again, what's special when I, I tell them, absolutely nothing whatsoever nothing at all and they're like oh well you must you must know more than everybody else no i really don't well are there new are there different tools that i'll learn absolutely not well then what's so special about it i was like literally being able to ask the right question at the right time and having the experience to know when that is that's literally like that should be the definition of of a master black belt and i was like and that's again it's just a title i don't care whether you're white on white belt yellow green black master black belt have or have never ever had formal training being effective in a process improvement position means you know how to ask the right question at the right time and, you know, and be able to translate that into something actionable. And that's, that's what makes it, I won't say special, but useful. We'll go with useful. Sorry. You know, it was interesting for Jake um, <clears throat> while he's sitting there in his jail cell rotting away. We actually, uh, you know, got, had my, had my uh, army buddies kind of kicking ideas around one day. And we always, you know, the army is a very interesting place. We use colorful words and we don't think like the rest of, uh, of society. Some days we kind of tangent out there. We had actually come up with a structure of roles and responsibilities as process improvement related to, again, um, you know, the prostitute industry, if you will, like we were, we were titling them pimps and hoes. So I was like, man, well, the pimp, he's running things, right. You know, process improvement, managing, managing practitioner. He's my pimp. And they were like, yeah, but who, what are the other roles? And it's like, what's well, all the, ho- the hose? You know, they're the, uh, the helping operational excellence people, right? That's essentially what they're doing. So, Jake, there's hope, man. LSS uh, roles and responsibilities fit in the prostitute. Keep up the fight, brother. <laughs> yeah, the, the, I think the challenge that I keep running into with a lot of folks that are in the continuous improvement space is a disconnect between 
understanding business management and mm-hmm. how they kind of fit into that. Um, that's really the reason that Jake and I started Zoom Operational Excellence is, you know, I have an MBA. I run large operations, mm-hmm. you know, um, Jake came up through operations as well. And we just, when we got introduced to lean, you know, for me, it was in manufacturing and then tier one automotive manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, when we got exposed to it, we realized really quickly, like we were in the business management side mm-hmm. and there was really only two buckets. There was the companies that like the C-suite and board of directors were committed. We are a lean company. We are going to start with customer defined value, value mm-hmm. stream structure to our organization, pull production, and we're attempting to reduce the demand to cash time by mm-hmm. eliminating waste, right? And then there was the other bucket. And the other bucket is just everybody else. And mm-hmm. most of the companies we worked for were in this bucket. So to kind of put a bow on the episode today and, and wrap it up, if you have taken a role in continuous improvement or you're a consultant or you're an internal consultant and you find yourself in this bucket, relax, take a deep breath. It's perfectly normal. Mm-hmm. 99% of companies are in this bucket, but you do have to come to terms with the culture. You do have to have conversations with people. Find out like what do the leaders actually want? What do they actually expect from you? Cut through you know, the BS and all of the fancy words. And you can just pitch that job description right in the trash. Somebody, mm-hmm. you know, some 20 year old intern wrote that anyway, go talk to the CFO, right? Find out what's really going on. And then you'll have a context for applying the knowledge and the, the learning that you have and be successful where it counts, which is where your boss wants it to count, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I guess if I had to give one last statement, it would to follow with that, it would just be, you know, um, if, if you are doing formal training prior to, you know, if you're not just building off of experience, know that that's not the baseline when you, you know, or, or know that that is just the baseline. That's not the way that you're going to do things. So just like you said, you know, when they're in that other bucket, you know, relax, take a breath and be okay with the fact that you don't have all the answers on day one, you know, the training just gives you a way to start asking the right questions so you can become part of the team, essentially. That's a great word, Phil. We appreciate you coming on the show and also what you're doing out there in Lean Alaska. Of Thank course, you. we'll put the link to Lean Alaska uh, down below. Why don't you tell folks how they can get in touch with you? Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, well, you know, it is Alaska. So if you happen to have a dog sled team hanging around, they do a good job making it up here. You know, we're a little remote. So pigeon carriers are also helpful. I'm really just kidding. We, we have normal stuff here, I promise. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I don't hide my number from anybody. If, you know, anybody would like a phone conversation, whether it's about training or just, uh, you know, networking in general, my number is 907-203-7716. Or you can uh, send me an email at phil at leanalaska.com. And um, I don't do all the social medias, but I, I primarily stick with uh, LinkedIn and, and Facebook. And it's just Phil Rank on either of those. Um, you will be underwhelmed, I promise you, but I am on both of them. Well, Phil, we appreciate it. Of course, we will put the uh, links, your number, email, et cetera, uh, in the video for folks to check you out. And if you're in the Alaska area, be sure to check Phil out with Lean Alaska, and he can help you with the training needs that you have, as well as help you network. If you're looking for something that Phil doesn't provide, you can connect with somebody who can. So take advantage of that. We love building those relationships 
here on LinkedIn and other pl- professional platforms. Phil, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, All thanks so much for having me. Land. Great, Goodbye, great conversation. Great seeing you. See you later. Doesn't show up to work tomorrow. Well, I guess um, prostitution is still illegal in Texas. So, um, you know, you just you live and learn. Um, so he didn't he, he didn't hire any prostitutes. He was trying to prostitute himself. So uh, that makes more sense.